Ladies and gentlemen, the questions you've all been asking are now being answered. Welcome to another edition of It's All About Who You Know, the podcast where influential people talk big topics in sports, faith, and more. Your host is a former Oregon State wrestler. He has a 4.9 star Uber rating and is currently undefeated in his MMA career. Here is Christian Robertson. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, first of all, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. I could could and would not do it without you listeners, so thank you again. But if you have not yet, um, my big promotion platform is my YouTube channel. I do a lot of vlogs. I do a lot of stuff. Um, that's really my only source of media. So if you haven't yet, go over to Christian Robertson on YouTube or check out the link in the description. Go subscribe, comment, show some love. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Thank you. Fiverr is an online marketplace that connects freelancers of every industry to buyers. Whether you need a graphic designer to make a company logo or you just need a video editing service that's going to be quick and reliable, Fiverr is full of the best freelancers in the world to help you get exactly what you need. And for my viewers only, follow the link in the description below and get 10% off today. I can hear you now. You got me? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Cool. I just, I just, I'm off just the regular. regular yeah, I almost, and, uh, yeah, I almost wonder if there was something on my end that wasn't helping. So, all right, let me see. So just for shits and giggles, then hold on. Yeah, try it one more time. Let's see if this works. Hear me? <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, I don't want to oh. admit, I don't want to admit this, but I know, I know what happened and it was on my end. Ah. Uh, what was it? I uh I had the the output um as my microphone and not as my speakers and so so no oh, shit nothing's, you, no shit, okay. nothing's coming through. I don't want to so, say so. Is, how's it sound? It sound better? It, it sound sounds, better like this? It sounds great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got I it. have to I have cool. to clear the air because I saw you at the gym today and I was kind of on my phone and you were in a weird angle. And I felt like one of those like boys in high school that sees a girl he likes and then doesn't say anything and then texts her right after. So my bad. I should have said hi. Hell yeah, it's all, it's all good, bro. I'm used to that. All the girls, all the girls want to say hi but never do. I, you know? No, that's not what I meant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I got you. How's your day going though? It's good, man. Um, you know, busy morning, but like my day is pretty much scheduled out you know what i mean like i try to schedule everything out like almost to the hour so it's like almost systematic you know i know where to be yeah. and what to do and kind of understand like just live off my day planner you know what i mean dude those things are a lifesaver i like i had to write down i mean this is a big like this is a, a big podcast for me and i still had to write it down like that's like something that i feel like i would have to write down dates if i you know didn't have my fiance to tell me when we're going out for sure. I mean, it's important though, bro. Like, you know, you get distracted, things, things happen throughout the day. You forget like, Oh shit, I totally forgot about this meeting or this appointment. So like for me, usually I'll, like I'll, I'll write a script, you know, possibly the night before, like, okay, I know what I have to do. Mm -hmm. And then I I'll leave gaps in between like 30 minute gaps. So in case we run over or something happens, it gives yeah. me time for, you know, compensate for travel and everything else. But you know, just I think over the years trying to be more systematic when it comes to the schedule and it, it's helped me a lot it's still a work in progress but it still helped me a lot 
when you when you plan things out, like if you're working with a guy or if you're planning out practice, do you plan it out ahead of time or do you kind of go in, see how the guy feels, you know, different stuff, or are you pretty baseline with everyone? No, I'm very, very systematic when it comes to like, let's say Dan Ige, for example, in camp, um, it's very specific on what we might see in the fight, what we're trying to accomplish in the fight, and a lot of reps in that. So very rarely will we um, waver too far, I guess, off the beaten path, because to me, a lot of times that becomes wasted reps, right? Where to me, reps are a premium during camp, and then you know, we kind of, we call it meat and potatoes. We're just standing on the meat and potatoes of what we're trying to accomplish in camp. Now we just worked on Monday, me and Dan outside of camp, bro. We, we were just literally messing around the whole time, like having yeah. fun, playing, trying new things. Um, and I think that's where it's important to really take in a lot of, um, I guess, dialogue with your fighter. It's like, Hey, you know, what do you, what do you want to work on? Or what are some things like you've been, and he's just like, man, I want to, you know, get my left kick going a little better. I want to set it up better. You know, so, okay, cool. So it gives us some things to work on outside of camp. And then now let's say that that tool is, is, is far more refined. The next fight we get in, then we plug that into an asset as something we can accomplish in the fight. Like, Hey, your left kick is firing. We don't show it a whole lot in your fighting career. Now it's something that might become unexpected to our opponent. So we can add that in, you know? So that's, I think it's very important to really add some things uh, inside outside of camp to add to to be add value but when it comes to practices like our team practice on mondays Mm -hmm. you know i'll usually sit down on sunday morning or monday afternoon and kind of write out the schedule of what i'll do um or the format of that class right because like when you come to mondays the only mondays that are really like you know what you're going to do is when it comes to big glove mondays right like everything else you might be like oh dude what are we doing today I kind of like that vibe of where like, we don't really know what you're going to get, but we know it's going to be a hard practice and it's going to change Monday to Monday. So, but um, I also just don't like throw shit against the wall either and be like, Hey, maybe we'll do this today. I I have a plan of attack and kind of understand how I want to approach it. um, And then go from there. And then like, you know, let's say like Cody Stamen's fighting somebody. um, Cody was fighting that guy that was doing a lot of uh, deep half guard. Right. So I'll, I'll mix in deep half guard in our positions throughout that day. So he's getting some of those extra reps that we might need. Gotcha. Where do you implement fun? Now I'm not saying that because like practices aren't fun, but I'm saying um, as far as like a mindset, cause everybody, you know, like you, you were a football guy. Most fun days for me playing football is when coaches lined up the bags and we like had Oklahoma drill or something like that. Yeah. And it always seemed like, you know, you can't do it every day cause you, there is business to be done. But with everybody being on different schedules, how do you implement like that? Hey, this guy's got to enjoy coming in or they're going to burn out. Yeah, bro. That's a, that's a great question. I think it's something that I still have to be better at is Hmm. more like, um, like barbecues, you know, like when we did the, when we did like the, the, the viewing party, we kind of got everybody together, the fights at the gym, um, that that's going to build the camaraderie and it's, it's, it kind of like, it kind of like lets the, the machismo, ego down and we all got to kind of come in and bring the families in and you get to meet the kids and you know it should be it should have that vibe because you know at the end of the day too like we're we're a big family but as serious as we are when it comes to pro practice it is nice to play some spike ball before or like wiffle ball or throw the football around or kind of lighten the mood and everything else and like sometimes during practice you know we used to do dodgeball all the time like hey all right guys instead of cardio line it up it's dodgeball right now so those are some things that like I have dodgeballs 
sitting in the in the closet maybe that's some things we should bring back because you're right bro it does it, it helps kind of lighten the mood and make things a little bit more fun when it comes to practices it seems like like whenever i've been in rooms like whether it was wrestling or you know now with mma like it disguises the hard work it's almost like when you have music in and you're not really or you listen to a podcast and you're working out you don't really think about like your muscles hurting or your lungs burning. Like you just, you're like, Oh, I'm listening to music, but you're doing, you're putting sometimes more output in. I was, sure. I was curious what, uh, like how you implement that. And I think the environment becomes yeah. contagious, right? Like oh, 100%. So like, like, you know, we'll put on some good tunes, some good music, yep. turn it up a little bit, but then like one or two people will have that, like, you know, Chris Curtis, for example, he'll like, woo, you know, that reaction yeah. and that, that, that you can feel the goosebumps, bro. You're like, hell right. yeah. Like, let's fucking go. You yeah. Know? And then another guy kind of has that same mentality or that same energy. And then you can feel it like ripple throughout the, throughout the gym, you know, right. especially like when I say like on Mondays, like, all right, guys, time, hands up. First guy yells is Brad, you know, it's like, woo. Yeah. Motherfuckers. You know, yeah. and like, let's all, then we're all jogging and we're all kind of in that, I don't know, that, that high, that rush, that sink. So, um, yeah, man, I, I really predicate my practices off that high energy and that enthusiasm, I think, you know, yeah. and it really starts, I think it really starts with me and, and, and Nate or whoever else is on the mat. You're not going to get a lot of enthusiasm from Nate, but you know, that, that environment I think is, is, is important and it makes it contagious and it makes it fun all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. J Nate's got that January 6th enthusiasm sometimes. Fuck yeah, he does. Fuck yeah, he does. <laughs> oh, bro. That's good. Uh, no, I was, um, do you think that comes from like your football background? Cause I feel like football coaches and like, dude, football strength coaches and just coaches in general are some of the most hoorah, like amped up MFers on the planet. I think. Yeah, definitely. You know, like I, I come from like two lines of, you know, my dad was very, I don't say quiet, but very cerebral, um, much, very much a thinker, uh, thought ahead of time with things, um, well, I wouldn't say he was by any means soft-spoken, but he was the complete antithesis to my uncle, who was the strength and conditioning coach, the linebacker coach, yeah. who fucking headbutted me into smithereens. Every time I had my helmet on, he's fucking headbutting you, <laughs> you know? So I try to find that almost kind of balance between my dad and my uncle, whereas, like, you know, when when it was time to work with my uncle, it was like, fuck yeah, bro, we're going we're gonna to get after it today, you know? And then, like, you work with my dad, and it was very, like, very much like student- and teacher right like, all right i'm sitting down i'm, I'm gonna learn x's and o's and so i think having that fine balance between the two uh, has definitely helped me transition over into mma kind of in keeping that that almost strength and conditioning football mentality what um how did you get into coaching what is like because you were a football guy i know some of the story but i don't know the whole story do you have like a two minute rundown or yeah i mean you know essentially i thought that football was going to be my, my path. You know, I, I, I knew that um, I definitely wanted to coach and at some capacity, I never really imagined it to be MMA, but I always felt like I was going to be in the coaching profession, definitely football. Um, when I got out of college, I came back home and my uncle uh, took the head coaching position at El Dorado and he brought me on right away on the, on the staff and basically helping out with the offense, passing coordinator, things like that. They ran a certain type of run offense but um, didn't really implement much passing game. So he's like, hey, I want you to come in and, and, and help out with the passing game. So I had a lot of fun doing that. But, you know, we had a guy there that was um, – he was pretty good. His name was Steven Jackson. 
So, you know, we ran the ball a lot and Steven Jackson was, was a very good running back and then went on to the NFL and did his thing. So, um, but it helped me kind of cut my teeth in the, in the coaching and, and, you know, understanding, you know, what coaching kids was like, what being coached, you know, by my uncle still and everything else and learning the, the nuances of, I guess, being a young coach at the time. So when, when it came to MMA, you know, I started coming here to Extreme Couture in 2006 and never really expecting to even get into anything that has to do with fighting. I just wanted to learn um, and, and further grow my knowledge about re really whatever. But moreover, bro, it was, for me, it was about being around like-minded individuals. You know, I was tired of, I was tired of being around like the, the, the bar scene, the bar industry, the Vegas nightlife and all that stuff. And I don't know, I just, it was almost my own checks and balances. Like, man, I need, I need to be around some hard motherfuckers um, and, and, and really check myself. And that's what I found in a shrink couture. So, you know, the coaching side of it, I think was a byproduct of me just being here yeah. day in and day out, bro. Hours on end. Like when you came to a shrink couture, I was here and right. I would never leave until I had to go to work, you know? And, and then I had my daughter McKenna, she's 15 now, bro. I used to bring McKenna in the carrier. So I would time it to where like I'd feed her. I knew when her nap was. So I'd be able to train for like an hour and a half. I'd feed her again, right? Come back and she would nap and I'd have her on the mats. Like me and Dennis would be training day in and day out. Dennis didn't drive at the time. So I'd drive Dennis, I'd pick him up. And it was like me, McKenna and Dennis. Like, like that was our little, our little family while my wife was working. And then I would work at the bar at night. I'd go into, to work at night around 7 p.m. and work from 7 to midnight and come back and do it all over again. Now, did you have any, you said when you came in, you didn't have any intentions. Did you ever have any aspirations of fighting or anything, or did you just fall in love with coaching and that was it? I, I kind of did, to be honest with you. Like I, for one, I wanted to, um, you know, that experience. And right. so what happened was when uh, Dennis was fighting, I think at the Riviera at the time, he was fighting on a small show out here and the promoter came in the gym to check up on Dennis and me and Dennis were actually training at the time. So, and he sees me and he's like, Hey man, do you, do you fight? Do you have any fights? I'm like, no, I don't have any fights at all. But this was back in a time too, Christian, where there wasn't amateurs. This was, mm -hmm. you fought and you, you were pro. There was no, there was no tough enough. There right, was at right. least no amateurs that were, that were going on in Vegas at the time. Right. And um, he offered me to fight Ryan Bader. So I knew who Ryan Bader was from football. Cause he, he was up in McQueen um, up in Reno and then I, you know, I went, I was a year older than him. And then I went to Reno to go play football. So I knew of him. I think he was the defensive player of the year, the next year after me. So I knew, I knew who he was, um, but didn't really know his background or his pedigree. But uh, so I go, I go home and I remember asking my wife and she's like, dude, she's like this pregnant with McKenna. She's like about the bust. And um, I was like, Hey babe, like I got a, I got an offer to fight. Um, this guy, Ryan Bader, I kind of know him. He played defense over at McQueen wrestled at ASU and she's like are you out of your fucking mind she's like I and she was like terrified that for me to go and fight and thank god she felt that way because you know he, he would have killed me and put me in a wheelchair probably <laughs> but um it was never really my dream or passion like I never got into this sport going like you know I want to be a pro fighter my whole path was going in the fire department like I was going to school mm -hmm. I was in paramedic school I was doing all these things and this was a byproduct of it like I was able right. to train but it never really was like, this is what I want to become. Right. And, you know, to be honest with you, bro, like you and I both see this on a day to day, these guys are busting their ass working so hard. And bro, the money is just trash. Like guys aren't really making any money until you get to that highest level. 
So when she was like, no, I really don't care to see you fight. Um, if it's something you really, really want to do, I'll support you, but it's not really what I, what I want from my husband. And I was right. like, okay. And I, I respected that and, you know, kind of just shut it down and found my path more in, into coaching when I was cornering Dennis. So I'd corner Dennis, um, I cornered Ray Seffo, corner Martin Campman. And then, you know, really Brad Tavares kind of gave me my, my, my coaching break, if you will. So I had all those, that little group of guys, but those guys kind of helped me grow in, into the coach that I am today. Gotcha. So it just like kind of built up over time of everything. For sure, there. bro. Just certainly a, a, definitely a byproduct of just being here day in and day out. And then really just having the, the wherewithal to want to, to want to learn. And, and like, look, man, I never wanted to be like a specialty coach. I didn't want to be like, Oh, I, I'm really good in this field. Right. Like I was always in here grappling and doing jujitsu and everything else, but it got to the point where I wanted to be better at holding pads. I want to learn how to wrestle more. I wanted to learn how to you know wrap hands and, and be a better corner. So when you did go on the road, like when Dennis would fight, he didn't have to bring three or four coaches. He just could bring me and I could right. do my job, you know? So right. That, that really helped me a lot over the time, I think, to help me become an all-around better MMA coach. Gotcha. Now, what do you think about this weekend's fights? Uh, main event, like what? Because I think it's weird that the narrative for Islam before his fight with Oliveira is, oh, he's not good enough and he shouldn't be here. He doesn't have enough fights. And now he's going against the number one pound-for-pound -pound guy and he beats, you know, he beats Oliveira and it's like, oh, you know, Volkanovski shouldn't be in there like how did the narrative shift that quickly after one fight that's crazy to me well you just remember like in MMA it's always a recency bias right right it's Absolutely. always that way bro like you'll see betting lines of I remember when Giga was fighting Calvin Cater and this is no slight on Giga I think Giga's a great a great prospect but you know he was a Calvin Cater was a two-to-one underdog against Giga because of the style the way that Giga beat mm -hmm. Edson Barboza so you start right. lining up MMA math and you're like wait a minute Cater's going to beat the shit out of Giga, you know, but because of the last fight Giga had, it was like, oh, well, this guy's inherently the favorite, you know? So a lot of the recency bias to me comes out with MMA. And we saw that when, with Cyril Gaon and Francis, yeah. you know, Cyril yeah. Gaon was doing his thing. Francis murders Stipe Miocic, best right. he's ever looked, the arguably the greatest heavyweight to ever do it. And then Francis is out for a little while. And then, Gone is doing his thing, and everybody's like, "Oh, Gone's going to kill Francis." Well, Francis beat the dude on one leg, so could you imagine what Francis could do to the guy with, if he was healthy? Right. You know, so it's that recency bias to me is always going to kind of have its have its day in MMA. Um, and look, man, Islam is absolutely no slouch. We're seeing what he's, this guy's capable of doing every time out, um, and I think I think the the hype is warranted. I really do, man. I, I think this guy's a real deal. He's somebody that, funny enough, that Ali's been talking to me about for, I don't know, seven, eight years now. Ali's been high on this guy forever. He's like, you think Khabib's good? Wait till you see Islam. And I've been yeah. hearing this dude's name for a long, long time. And now it's front and center. We're, we're able to see what he's he's able to do. And, you know, on the flip side of that, man, how can you how can you not love Volkanovski? Right. Like, this guy's looking to challenge himself and put his – unblemished record out there right is he, i think he's undefeated isn't he i think he's 25 and one i think he lost like his second fight maybe, ever maybe. yeah maybe he's lost one but but not the in, the streak UFC. in a row yeah, yeah not, he's like yeah, 18 exactly. and 0 in the ufc or something like right that. like his streak right like good on him for for looking to try to 
to accomplish something and, and become that number one pound for pound guy, solidify that number and challenge himself. And arguably, you know, the scariest guy in the, in the, in the UFC roster right. is Islam right. Chef, right? So, I mean, you got to love both of these guys and, and, and what they're trying to accomplish in this sport. And, um, you know, I'm glad Volkanovski's moving up and he's going to go challenge himself because in a lot of ways, man, I think he does have a, have a good skill set and, and, and something that can be able to throw some wrinkles and beat, beat a guy like Islam with his movement. You know, he's not, right. easy, to, not easy to track because he has the ability to strike from both stances. You know, I think that would be more my game plan if I was on the Volkanovski side is, you know, try to pot shot this guy one, two angles off and move and then land the big shots when, when he throws a heavy left hand and falls over and misses. You want to try to be able to counter that. Yeah, I was talking to Ray the, uh, a few months back, right before the um, the Oliveira fight, and he was telling me he trains and Ray knows kickboxing better than anybody, right? For sure. And he was saying, dude, this guy would be a a high level elite kickboxer with his skills now, not even focusing on it with his skills now. And I was like, okay, Ray, um, like I trust what Ray says, but I just didn't like I didn't I thought maybe he was hyping him up because he trained him and. I just don't, I don't feel like anybody knows how good Islam is on his feet because he's so good at getting guys off his, off their feet. You know, like, do you think, I mean, do you think the wrestling is going to be a factor within the fight or do you think it's going to have to stay on the feet and we're going to see just how good Islam is on his feet? Well, I think, I think it's going to be important for Islam to keep a blend, um, to faint that level change, to make it a threat, whether you, whether you intend it or not. Right. Like yeah. I always call it like a show of force. You know, when in, in the military terms, like <clears throat> when you see like a flyby or right. somebody going, you know, buzz, buzz down yeah. their F-22 Raptor. It's like, hey, man, look, we have these weapons and it's a show of force and it's going to open some things up. So for Islam, whether he intends on grappling or wrestling, I think it's important to at least show it to kind of collect the data of what the defense will be for Volkanovski and, you know, maybe fit in every once in a while just to make him like feel that pressure and feel that understanding of what you're capable of when it comes to the grappling game. That's going to get some respect when it comes to the lead hands, right? That lead hand starts to drop. Then you can set up a lot of your, um, your overhand series stuff and your fit-ins. So, um, you know, if he wants to go out there and just kickbox with them, I think that opens up the door for Volkanovski a little bit more. Um, but, you know, Islam does have that striking, man. He can crack, especially at a, at a weight class a little bit higher, you know, for Volkanovski. We'll, we'll see if he can take that pressure. Who do you, who are you picking for the fight? I'm not going to say who are you putting your money on because I don't want you to get in trouble for that. <laughs> kind of enough of that going on right now. Yeah, no kidding, right? That's crazy. Um, you know, here here's this is kind of a funny way to look at it. You know, I think Islam will win, but I think there's value on Volkanovski as a three to one underdog. Mm -hmm. Why not throw a hundred bucks on Volkanovski? And if he loses, I'm okay losing that hundred bucks. Right, but I'll, but when are you ever going to get Volkanovski as a three to one favorite or underdog? Right, right. So definitely not in the featherweight division, right? Definitely not in the oh, featherweight yeah. division. But would you be surprised on on Sunday if we're talking about Volkanovski winning that fight? Like, would no. you be that surprised? No, I don't think so either. So in my mind, I think that there's some value there, and I would I would I would take Volkanovski at that at that dog money. Yeah, I think he's going to be hard to get underneath too because he is a little bit shorter and they're standing straight up. And I think there's going to be maybe some issues that a lot of people, not a lot of non wrestlers probably won't foresee as far as the the wrestling. I think that's kind of spreading that line too, as people think he's just going to dominate him in the grappling. And I don't know, I don't know if I see that, but 
Maybe. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think that's an interesting style when it comes to the Dagestani guys, how much they're predicated on the backside wrist rides, mm-hmm. you know, and the kill, killing the legs and everything else, you know. Um, a guy maybe short in stature with a smaller anatomy extremities, right? Like it might be hard, harder for Islam to kind of hunker down and, and weigh on a guy that's kind of built like a roly-poly, you know? Right. So it, it'll be interesting. And do I think that, you know, Islam can't take down Volkanovski and shut it down? No. But I think it would be interesting just to see kind of how he, how he plays it with Volkanovski's uh, size and uh, anatomy. Gotcha. And then do you have any dog in the fight with the co-main event with Rodriguez and Emmett? I, not really. Um, you know, obviously uh, we fought against Josh Emmett with Dan Ige, uh, went to a decision, um, really good fight, close fight. You know, I, I thought Dan won round two. Um, round three was kind of a toss-up round. I felt like we should have we and could have done more in round three. Um, and Emmett, Emmett came away with the win. So, um, you know, in the cater fight, I thought the cater fight in Emmett was, was very, very close fight. Um, could have gone either way in that one too. So, right. but I, I think, I think the narratives being ran, like Josh doesn't really deserve this opportunity. Uh, I think that's false. I, th- I think Josh has done enough right. uh, to, to get there. And, you know, Yair's coming off really just one win off of Ortega, kind of off a of fluke injury but he lost his last fight against uh, Max Holloway. So you, I think you can make that argument for, for both sides. If you're going to say Josh doesn't deserve it. Well, you know, Yair's coming off of this kind of, um, you know, unheralded win, but he got the win, but um, man, I think it's going to be a very interesting fight in the regards of, you know, Yair's movement um, and kind of his offbeat rhythms when it comes to the kicking game. And, what I felt we could have done better in the Ige fight was uh, throw the left head kick more to occupy Josh's right hand and the power hand. And Dan doesn't have a great left head kick, but he has a serviceable one, something that we've been working on, but Yair has a great one. Mm-hmm. So I think that almost like that jab, same side, left high snap kicks, even they're not really intended to knock you out, but they're intended to occupy your hand placement. Right. Um and then I think as well, um, Yair chopping that lead leg of of Josh. I think that was the leg that was compromised in the Shane Burgos fight that he was out with the knee injury. I can imagine Yair looking to try to chop that lead leg, especially a guy who's front foot heavy and throws heavy, heavy leather, you know. Um, and on the flip side, I think it's going to be important for Josh to implement some wrestling. I really do. Yeah. I think when you go back and watch the Frankie Edgar fight um, against Yair, I think that Frankie implemented the wrestling and really tired the guy out and took away a lot of his weapons, you know, and it's hard to kick somebody when you're laying on your back, you know what I mean? Take away those weapons and and tire a guy out. So, and then of course, when you wrestle a dude and and you get him tired, um, they're more, I think more susceptible to be taken down. If you're, if they're worried about being taken down, if they're kicking a lot. So that might slow down the kick game of Yair. If you're Josh, get out there and wrestle him a little bit, make him feel like, Hey man, for five rounds, I'm gonna look to take your ass down. It's gonna be a fucking gritty, grimy fight. Changes the element a little bit. Right. Changes what he's got to do. Yep. What um do you know what Francis is gonna do? I know you haven't spoken about it too much, but do you like actually personally know? Um, kind of. I I don't. I wouldn't say that I know for a fact. Or this is what we're doing, you know. But um, you know, we went to dinner last night and just kind of just, just me and him, and we didn't really talk a whole lot of business, to be honest with you. We just right. we just were, we're almost catching up. But um, you know, I think I think for what I gathered from him, um, it, 
box first and try to make make that payday, get that grab. And yeah. then um, you know, we have a lot of options after that. You know, we even we even talked about, you know, hey, we'll go next and go back to the UFC. You know, that 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 opportunity is always going to be available for us. It's not like we left the UFC and it's like fuck these guys. Yeah. You know, it's a business. It's happened before. Guys have left and come back. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think both parties would be, be open to that. Um, but right now, I think because of his name value, go out there and fight one of the big three. Uh, go put on a good boxing match and go make that money. And then let's see what you want to do next. Are you saying fight one of the big three guys in boxing? Yeah, Joshua Wilder, Wilder Fury. and Fury. Yeah. What um what is your opinion? Because I know Francis has obviously taken a pretty hard stand, but I don't know if I've heard you talk about what with the fighter pay with the UFC. Do you think their business model is pretty and if you don't if you can't speak on this, don't, but do you think their business model is pretty fair to the guys? Or do you think um, you know, it's gonna take like a PFL or a Bellator or somebody else, you know, creating some competition for them and taking some of those world champions away to get them to change some things up? Because when I hear things like there's ring girls that make more money than the fighters, that's when I'm like, okay, well, maybe we should take a look at that because that's not okay. Like, I don't think they provide right. any value to the sport at all. That's me. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that with that particular stat, it's kind of misleading in the fact that like Francis made 600,000 um, flat, you know, versus Cyril gone. I don't know what his pay-per-view numbers were, but that's mainly because Francis only fought once in, the, in that year. Right. Right. So yes, uh, Ariani made a million annually for the entire year, but you know, had had Francis been healthy and we fought more, he would have right. made far more money that. So we right. have to be fair. We have to be fair to that regard, because um, sure. that 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 stat is very misleading to me. Sure. Um, Absolutely. And now you know it, it. It all it all becomes very relative. I think depending on the fighter. So you know, eight million dollars is a lot of money to a lot of people a lot of people. Yeah. Right. But when you feel like what your value is for that company, or you feel that on the open market, you're with triple or quadruple that figure. Um, I think that's when it becomes one of those things where, where you have the power to negotiate or you have the opportunity to try to make and incite some change. And, you know, in an intimate moment with Francis, just me and him, like in the car driving back from, that meeting with Dan and Hunter, you know, he brought that up. He's like, man, it's, it's not really about the money for me. It's about the opportunity to make some change, yeah. you know, that he had some leverage there. Um, I would have loved to seen some more guys kind of stay with him, stick with him. But, you know, again, to each is their own. They have their families to feed. They have their legacies that they want to keep intact and the things that they want to do. But this is something that he's been very passionate about and, Dude, I love him and I respect him for it. Like I told him yesterday, man, because he asked, he's like, you know, are you bummed that we're not? I was like, I'm bummed that we're not competing against John Jones. Of right, course, right, like, right. I wanted that opportunity to compete, but sure. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defeated. I'm not sad. Like, yeah. oh man, like, you know, it, 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 I know I trust in Francis in his process. And I think that, you know, that's the main thing is that we stay together as a team and we have each other's backs. And, you know, we, we, you know, really, really just kind of, I guess follow the dreams of each other, right? Like he's always wanted to box. So right. why not why not do it now and, and take this opportunity to go out and try to get one of I mean, strike while the iron's hot. 
what would you change if you if you were looking at like you know you're kind of thrown in the middle of this whole deal and you've probably seen the ins and outs of all these contracts at some capacity what um if anything within the ufc like that people talk about because like you said there are misleading stats out there everywhere and you really need to get a dana and somebody on the other end to like sit down and discuss it but i don't think we're going to get that what would like what do you think are some things like you guys you guys need to switch this up well i mean i definitely think maybe having like in the in the nfl where they have like a player representative or somebody to help and and speak on their behalf of things that the, the these these fighters need um i think that i think that would help you know um obviously the insurance situation is something that i see quite prevalent in in, in mma where a guy gets hurt and they're continuing to do camp or they continue to fight so they can they can get the insurance you know and that, mm-hmm. I, I think that's i think that's i think that's sad man right and i'm not saying like i've also seen the ufc help fighters out i've seen that yeah, you know, so I, I don't think it's fair to to say that they're that they haven't done this, you know, and right. they don't do this because they have they, they they have helped out fighters to get surgeries or stem right. cells or to do things, you know. So, but it's not, but it's also not across the board, and either. it's not a policy either. It's a it's, they don't have to do that. Yeah, but they do it out of the goodness of their heart for certain situations, right? Where it's not That's like true. everybody gets that. Um, you know, I I think for me, man, it, it it's it's one of those things where the UFC has a business model um, and they've ran this business model for however long. And I just don't see them changing that business model anytime soon, unless there was a big lawsuit or some litigation or something that came down the line where they were forced to do that. Right. You know? So in the meantime, I think it is what it is. And they're the King that they, they, they don't say they have a monopoly on this, but they're going to be number one for a long time. And they, they stay, they stay true to that business model. And that's what they're going to keep doing because what happened with Francis was if they, if they did the deal that Francis wanted, that would break the mold and they did, they weren't willing to break that mold, you know, but on the flip side of things, you know, Francis understood that he wasn't going to get all of his demands met. He right. said he wanted one or two of those things met. Some of the issues that were some of the sticking points, excuse me, was um, if Francis were to lose to John Jones, where does his contract go from there? And Bro, it was a huge drop in pay, huge drop in pay. So he's like, yeah, you, you might, you know, I'm fighting arguably the greatest mixed martial artist to ever live. Right. But if I lose, I have no protection. I go right. from, from making 8 million to 1 million. <laughs> like, that's fucking trash. Right. You know, especially when you look at like the pay scale of what Alistair Overeem was making six, seven years ago. Overeem was making 800,000 a fight flat. So he said, he's telling me, your 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 evaluation to me is is one million. Eight years later, a guy that I knocked out into the next fucking stratosphere, right? So you're gonna pay me a million if I lost to John Jones. Right. So think about that. He <laughs> he fights John, he might make ten million with pay per view, but if he lost, he's back down to one million. So you're looking at eleven million dollar net off of two fights if you were to lose, versus right. going to box, he's gonna make where. 15 20 million right flat flat so he's like it just makes more sense for me to go do this yeah and that's a good point you bring up too with the injury thing i didn't think of it but you know because like every every practice facility in football is owned or operated by the nfl so if you you know that was the thing with Carr, right they didn't want him to go in and fake an ankle injury because you know then they got to pay him 40 million dollars so that makes sense like you know i guess they insure guys if they're training at the pi and that's it right 
Yeah, I mean, and I don't even know if they insure him there. Like, I, I don't know that, and I don't want to speak on something I don't know 100%. But, okay. um, you know, I know I know when Francis injured his knee that, you know, but again, like Francis is different because he felt like the UFC was kind of out to get him. Right. But like he didn't, he 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 went and did his MRI and did everything uh, outside of that scope. But you know he did a lot of his rehab over at the PI, so they knew about it. He did his surgery in LA, um, but I don't think the I don't think the UFC covered really anything that had to do with any of the surgery stuff. Gotcha. Huh. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, all right, man. Well, hey, I'm gonna let you go real quick. Two things. One, who you got for the Super Bowl? Um. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go with the Eagles. I think they're really? a more more complete team. Mm. Um and I think when you when you break down the Eagles on offense, you know, I really like the way that they're structuring their offense off of Jalen Hurts and his strong suits off the R, off the RPOs. Yeah. Um, you know, the kid the kid really flourished in the system of Oklahoma under yeah. Lincoln Riley off the RPOs, um, and the ability to 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 run the ball for him. Right. Right, you know, right. I think that 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 you know, as from from a standpoint of my dad being a defensive coordinator, um, most of the time you don't account for the quarterback. You have a free rush or you have a free guy in the middle in your mic. Um, now with 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 the, the way the NFL is today, that you have athletic quarterbacks, you have to compensate for matchups with the quarterback. You have to spy them. You know, you have to you have to roll containment. You have to do certain things in elaborate defenses. Um, I think that that Jalen Hurts, I, it will be the mismatch where, you know, those third and 12s where you should be getting off the field and he and he scrambles and breaks one loose and runs for 15. Mm. Those are the those are the types of quarterback play that I think will ultimately win the Super Bowl. Now, the only reason why I say that is because I know Mahomes is nursing that that ankle injury. Right. And he's also a guy who's very mobile. Can same, move the way, pocket yeah. same way. But with that limited mobility off the ankle. Um, I love what Josh Sweat and uh, Cox and, and Brandon Graham, all those defensive ends, that defensive line of Philly, that straight straight edge pass rush up and then kind of keep everything in that pocket where you allow your defensive tackles to scramble the eggs and get to your quarterback. So you maintain containment. Um, so I think this, this game's won by the Eagles defensive line and the quarterback play of Jalen Hurts. Cool, cool. And second thing, are you watching Yellowstone? You a Yellowstone guy? No, my wife is though. Big Yellowstone fan. She oh. is. I, I've never watched one episode. Oh man, you got to get into it. They're doing all, all the right. prequels now. 1883, 1923. All right, all right. I'll check it out. What do you was that on Paramount, right? Uh yeah, the prequels are on Paramount Plus. And I think the other the Yellowstone, you'll have to watch it on something else. I can't remember what it's on. Dope. So I'll but check that out. It's pretty cool. Yeah, just ask her. But all right, well, I guess we're not going to talk about Yellowstone then. <laughs> nope. I'll see you, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate all right, it. Brother. I'll see you soon. My pleasure. Yep.